Ole Miss fans, you can never be too careful, especially these days and with young kids at home. Don't take any chances and secure your home with Eufy Smart Lock, an easy install all-in-one security device for your front door and that peace of mind we're all looking for. I myself am a Eufy user, and I can tell you firsthand, go ahead and ditch those house keys forever, grab a Phillips head screwdriver because that's all you'll need, and give Eufy Smart Lock a try today. No monthly fee, and Eufy customer service is waiting on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. So what are you waiting for? Head to Vault Hemingway or the Pavilion or Swayze Field to cheer on your Ole Miss Rebels with the reassurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Smart Lock. Eufy Video Lock makes it easy to keep an eye on things back home. Its built-in camera can tell you who's at the front door from the comfort of your stadium seat. Search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com, eufyofficial.com slash video lock, to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Smart Lock and Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. No Colin Brister with me today. Actually, just one guest, too. It's David Brandt of the Associated Press. Good buddies now in Phoenix. Moved away from Mississippi, but the same job with the AP, except in Phoenix. Hey, buddy, what's up? How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Just uh, hoping that, that sports, I, I guess they've sort of started up already, but, uh, you know, just 
hoping things are slowly getting started and getting back to some semblance of uh, being normal. If I'm an Ole Miss fan, or if I'm a sports fan in general, what's the most encouraging sign right now? Well, I think just especially just recently, you know, NASCAR pulling off the the race with no fans, and you know, it was a little weird and not quite the same, but it worked, and there were sports, and it was on TV, and I think it was, you know, generally speaking, a, a pretty overwhelming success considering all the things. I think it was just. It's an, it's an example of something that, that can be done and was done fairly well, and it's different. But it was, a, it was a step toward, you know, one of the major sports in America needed to be the one that went first, and it was NASCAR, and it worked. So I, I think that's, a, that's kind of an encouraging first step towards this could actually work. Yeah, I talked to Keith Carter last week and asked about that. Having Major League Baseball or the NBA, the NFL, lead the way for college football, college basketball, and he agreed with that, that basically college is following the lead of professional sports. But if you would have made me guess which sport would have taken the plunge first, NASCAR wouldn't have been the first that popped in my brain. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I think part of it is just, that, well, there's a couple things. NASCAR, I think, is a little easier from covering it a couple times, you know, social distance is sort of a part of NASCAR. Like, I, I mean, obviously the, the pit crews are fairly close to each other and everything like that, but you know, the drivers, there's no contact or anything like that. So um, in, in some ways it was a uh, kind of an obvious choice to do it, but you know, and I, and I also think that they were very motivated financially because if they're not racing, they don't get the sponsorship dollars, the, the TV stuff. I mean, they, there was really no backup for them other than racing. So they were very motivated to get back. So uh, again, you know, NASCAR is a lot different than baseball or football, just logistically and, and some other things like that, but still a major sport needed to go first NASCAR did and it worked. So I, I think that's an encouraging sign. The NFL opened training facilities today. Now it's only for, um, I think essential personnel. So no players are going to be there. I don't even know if coaches are going to be there. But which professional sport, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, do you think comes back first, if any of them do? That's a good question. I actually was uh, – the the Arizona Cardinals are one of the teams that are able to, to reopen today, and it's just – it's essentially just really essential personnel. They're, they're, I, I think you're allowed to have up to 50% of your office or 75 people, whichever is the most. Um, and, it, and the Cardinals say that it's going to be way less than that, at least initially. No players or coaches or anything like that. But, uh, you know, again, it's, a, it's another sign towards slowly reopening, getting the logistics down of how they're going to work, you know, testing temperature scans, anything like that. So I think it's an encouraging sign. As far as which sport gets back first, I, I mean, I think that at least right now um, – you know, baseball seems the one kind of, you know, they're, they're talking through things with the union and, and the, uh, the owners and everything like that. So we'll see what goes on. But I, I think that if they can get that worked out, I, I think a plan will, will come forward fairly soon, you know, as far as I think spring trading, second spring trading could start in the middle of June at some point. And then, you know, the, the season might start around the 4th of July. So I think it was really encouraging that the governors of, New York and California 
uh, yesterday came forward and said that, you know, they think pro sports can continue without fans at some point in June. So I, I think that, um, you know, baseball might lead the way, but uh, I think that the NBA has got to make a decision soon. Same thing with the NHL. Uh, so I, I think everything potentially for me, and I just think for sports fans, you know, July and August might be a really, really busy time. I think if, if everything goes well, that that could be, you know, kind of an interesting summer that, that hasn't been seen before as far as all the sports playing at one time. I pitched this to Keith and he agreed. Now I think everybody agrees with this. The whole thing is once you start, you don't want to stop because if you stop, then you're losing it for no telling how long. Because at that point, if people were cautious now, they're going to be doubly cautious if they can even be doubly cautious if you have to shut down when they come back in a year, two years, and you don't even know. So that's the whole uh, fine line that they're trying to walk here. Is yeah, everybody wants it to reopen, and everybody wants sports back, me more than anybody, just as much as anybody, I guess. But the thing is, once you start, you don't want to stop because if you stop, the ramifications of that and the fallout of that are so significant. And the only thing I really am worried about with Major League Baseball, and you cover the Arizona Diamondbacks now in Phoenix, is there's real bad blood between the union and the league. And there are going to be a lot of things they got to overcome for baseball to come back. And I'm not sure that I'm particularly optimistic about it so much as I'm optimistic about the NFL. We're going to have the NFL. We're going to have football games. We're going to have fantasy football, all the stuff you and I love baseball. It's kind of got me worried a little bit. Yeah. Baseball is a unique sport in the fact that I mean, the, the good and the, the bad of that union, you know, the major league baseball has a union contract that the other sports uh, envy because the union is so strong in baseball, but also because of that, there's, it's very contentious between the owners and the players. That's absolutely true. I, I do think that money talks, and, and I think that while there will be some animosity and there will be some back and forth and it might be unpleasant for a few days, I, I think both sides are extremely motivated to get something done. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the players don't want to miss a whole year. That's, that would not be good for them financially. The owners don't want to miss a year because that would not be good for them financially either. So I, I think that it will probably be ugly for a few days. I think there will be some headlines that, you know, are discouraging, but at the end of the day, I, I would really be surprised if they can't figure something out. Cause it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, it would just be, you know, self-defeating for either side to lose all that money. I mean, there's, there's just so many reasons to figure something out. And like I said, you're, you're very correct in that there's a lot of animosity between those two sides. I'm sure it will be ugly for a little while, but I, I just think, you know, follow the money and, they've got to work something out essentially the greatest grift that any professional i guess organization has pulled off is major league baseball turning fans against the players in these type of negotiations and actually being on the side of the owners because the owners they could get this started if they wanted to they could no it is fascinating just kind of public perception i mean because you know, I, I, both sides are not blameless, but you remember the strike in the mid nineties and 94. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the players oh, David, were, were, I'll never forget. Cause I was young at that time and, oh, my I mom, and I loved, I loved Tom Glavin. I loved him and he was the head of the players union. And I remember my mom not liking Tom Glavin because of the strike. And looking back on that now, I would have been on the side of Tom Glavin and not the owners, but that's what they've done. And they've done this for 40 years. It seems like. 
Yeah. Oh, there's no question. And Tom Glavin is a really smart, interesting, funny guy. But yeah, he was kind of a villain back then. And people, people kind of forget that. I do think sentiment has changed over the past 25 years. I, I think that public perception of, you, you know, just like with it, like 25 years ago, if you had said players should be paid by the NCAA, that would be an incredibly unpopular opinion in 1995. But now it's almost consensus. I mean, almost everybody thinks that, that players should be at, at some point compensated for what they're worth. And I think that people have kind of gotten a little wiser just with more information that, you know, the players, whether it's baseball or basketball or football, you know, they should get what they're worth as far as the sports. Yes, they get paid an incredible amount of money considering they play a sport for a living, but the sport brings in a ton of money too. And so, you know, it's, it's essentially billionaires against millionaires. And I'm not saying either side is necessarily heroes in it, but I, I think people, your, your common fan is a little more educated on the economics. It doesn't mean they want baseball any less or anything like that, or gets irritated by it. But I think that fans are slightly more educated than they were 25 years ago about the economics and how, you know, players deserve a cut of the pie of, of what they should get. So we'll see how it goes. I'm sure the players, you know, we saw the other day when Blake Snell, you know, came out that and, and, you know, said he needed, you know, he wasn't going to take a pay cut that didn't go over hugely well, but, um, I think that generally speaking, uh, people are a little more understanding of the back and forth of those negotiations. My deal with college football is pretty simple. If it were me, just make it to where college football players don't have to fulfill their degree requirements until maybe four years after their career is over to where it's like nine hours per semester. Make it basically that football is their job. That's what they're there for anyway. Let's not pretend like it's not. And all the money they might get in a stipend or whatever, they can use that for the things they need. If you really want to find a middle ground here, because I don't think anybody is going to 100% rule in favor of players getting paid, even though I think they should be. But you're not going to get everybody on that side of it. So make it to where we acknowledge that they're here to play football. And once they are done, their career is done, whether it's after college, whether it's after eight years in the NFL, they have four years to complete their degree. Now, maybe they have to be there for whatever, nine hours a semester and have to go to classes and they can do it all online. But let's stop pretending like they're not here for anything other than football. That's an interesting idea. I, I, that's one of the first variations I've heard of that. I, there's all kinds of things they could do. And, and I think that, yes, just the acknowledgement, the whole, the, the charade of, not the charade, but, you know, the student athlete type thing. And I, there are some players that really are, you know, there, there's all these guys that are, are there to play football. And then you've got the, the handful of guys that are also like engineering majors. And yeah, and you if you want to be an exceptions. engineering major and you want to go and finish your degree, go for it. Yeah. And I, and I think there's a handful of guys that are, that are there for that, but you're right. I mean, just the acknowledgement, you know, major college sports has been so hesitant to just admit that that's what these guys are there for, you know, and, and they also get an education. That's part of it. That's great. But you know, make some concessions and do some things to, uh, you know, make it easier and just not quite as much of a charade sometimes. And I, I think that's a good, you know, that's an interesting suggestion. I don't know if they would do something like that, but I just think there's all kinds of different ways uh, that, that you could move forward that, that make things a little more realistic.
operationally, college football is going to be changed forever. And how it returns is going to be fascinating to me. You got schools talking about mid-June, 1st of July, having student-athletes back on campus, starting to phase in a return and practices and things like that. But the testing aspect of it, we've covered all of this stuff ad nauseum. But my question would be, once you get these kids back, how do you safely allow them to start practicing and then get to a place where you're comfortable and you're not getting any new tests or new cases or whatever? If you get one, you're shutting it down, and that's a PR nightmare. So... How do you phase all this in and then on schedule go play in Houston against Baylor or play in Shreveport if that's a rumor that actually has some legs? We know that it's going to be moved the game to Sunday as first reported by Chase Parham of rebelgrove.com. How you stay on schedule with all these things and adhere to safety measures? I know everybody else that are making these decisions or the people that are making these decisions, they know the true information, the data. I just don't understand how anyone can expect it to be completely clean because the NFL, they can play without fans. College football cannot. And Ole Miss is going to get to the end of June, the end of the fiscal year, and have to decide whether or not it has enough money to keep going or it's going to have to borrow or it's going to have to cut salaries or cut staffers in the administration building. It's just such a messy thing for colleges. And it's unique because colleges rely so much on the gate, not completely, but certainly a lot more than the NFL, to where – I just don't know how it's going to be a clean thing. I don't know how they're going to do it. And the idea that we're going to rush all these things to make them happen in June and July just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's good. You know, the, the one thing that I think is interesting, just from my perspective, um, you know, you talked about if there's one positive test, you know, you have to shut everything down. And I think that that is going to be the interesting part. Like, I, I just, like, mathematically, like, it seems nearly impossible that you would bring, you know, 120 division one college football programs back. And that's, you know, whatever it is, 80 to hundred players per team, all the staff, all the personnel, that's a lot of people. And it seems very unlikely that you will go multiple months with no one testing positive. You know what I mean? And so at that point, I, I think you have to have some sort of contingency plan in place basically you can't shut everything down for one positive test. Otherwise I don't think you should even start because the odds of that happening are incredibly high. You know what I mean? Like with, with the German soccer league, the, the Bundesliga started up, you know, there were, there were multiple players that have tested positive through the process and they have procedures in place to deal with that. You know, when UFC came back a week or two ago, one of the fighters tested by or somebody in their corner tested positive and they had to move things around. And so I, I think that, flexibility is really going to be key. And I just don't see a way. I mean, I, I think that college, whether it's college sports or NBA, NFL, anything like that. I mean, essentially there's probably going to be a positive test at some point. I know that the numbers are trending downward, but it's still, you know, it seems that lots of people have, you know, have the virus and don't even know it. So I, I think it would be nearly impossible to go through, you know, go into this thinking that you can avoid a positive test at all. And if that's the case, then it, it, you're right. It's going to be very, very hard to do this cleanly. And you're putting a lot of trust in kids to not be kids. Cause you talk about, oh, UFC, there's no question. yeah. And you talk about baseball and career, wherever those are professionals. Their job is to adhere to the rules and the restrictions that their organizations place on them because that's their job for these kids. And you talk about not play, paying the players Well, for these kids, this isn't their job. It's a part of what they are as a student athlete. If you want to get technical, now we don't believe none of us really believe that, but as part of their job description, student athlete. 
So when they're in school, you're telling me you're going to get 100 kids and cut them off from the rest of society, expect them at night not to go to the bar. If the bar is open in Oxford, kids are going to go to the bar. They're going to go chase ass. They're going to go drink a lot. They're going to do a number of different things that kids do. And asking any of those kids to sacrifice that for a couple of months is unrealistic. Now, in a vacuum, yeah, that sounds nice. And that sounds like, oh, well, you're getting advantages that other student or other athletes don't get or other students don't get, so you need to adhere to these guidelines. That's fine. That's fine. They're not going to. Let's live in the real world here. So the idea that you can cut them off from society, it's not going to work. And we've already seen that mental health is a problem, a real problem in this country, as everyone is quarantining and unemployment is at a record high or whatever. So the idea that we're going to cut these kids off, it just doesn't seem feasible at all. Yeah, I mean, because even if like 90% of the kids generally follow the rules, you know, another yeah. 10%. And it's not even just the bars or different things. They go to other kids' apartments. Right. And hang you know, out. Matt Corral you know, is going to go to the bar. Jerion Ely right. is going to go to John Rice's house. They're going to go play video games. They're going to handle the same controllers, right? They're going to handle the same couple of beers, handing out beers to each other and stuff it's, it, at their houses, not even if they go out. That's going to happen. Yeah. No, there's there's no question. And, and I think that's a concern even for, like, Major League Baseball. You know, back when they were talking about quarantining everybody in Arizona, and I think that after a while everybody was like, you can't do that for multiple months. That's just not going to, to work out. You know, I think with – especially with UFC, with NASCAR, it's a little smaller group of people you can – kind of do that but yeah i mean at some point especially as, as cities and states start to open up a little bit and campuses to a varying degree or some at least we're trending that way are going to be fairly open and then some are going to be a lot more closed but yeah there's just going to be interaction whether that's going out at night or just hanging out with people so um you know and especially after already two months of of being socially distanced it's just hard to really see that it's feasible to keep kids apart or society for that matter for the better part of a year. That doesn't seem very realistic. That voice you hear is David Brand of the Associated Press. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, leave a five-star review. Doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and affiliate of 247 Sports. Going to get right back to David, but first, let me tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford and Cheney's Pharmacy. We're all doing whatever we can to survive quarantine, right? It can be tough. We're making purchases to keep our sanity, to keep us happy. Maybe you're going on Amazon, hitting add to cart, purchase. Maybe, just maybe, you're in the market for a new car. And if you are, I know the place you should go. The only place you should go. And that's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. From new and used sales to parts and service, Allen Samuels of Oxford aims to provide a truly stellar automotive experience. But what separates Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford from every other dealership is Allen Samuels aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Most everyone who's listened to this podcast should know by now I only vouch for sponsors I truly believe in. If I myself have not had a personal experience with any sponsor, they're not going to be on this podcast. And my longest relationship is with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Why? Because I can't say enough good things about Brian and Mason and the rest of the team. 
I don't like to haggle. I don't like to negotiate. I don't like the whole process of buying a car. With Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, you can avoid all of that. They're looking out for you. So give them a call today, 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, the only place to find your perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. Self-isolation, quarantine, has brought about its own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, they've earned your trust. You can count on them. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down. Give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney'sPharmacy.com. We've all got our own set of problems. Don't let your pharmacy be one of them. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Okay, so what does the environment, the sports environment, look like in August, if you had to guess right now, based on all of that we know up to this point and the plans that college has, Major League Baseball, the NBA, football, nothing is set in stone, but it seems like we're trending towards a phased reopening, assuming that we have in some ways um, curbed the virus enough to where we can do this and get our sports back what does the outlook for August look like? Well, I think as of, you know, today, May 19th, that it again is trending in the correct direction. And, and I think that obviously all the sports are playing probably in August without fans and it's weird and it's kind of slowly kind of haltingly, you know, getting back to normal, but I think it, it starts to trend in the right direction. I mean, you know, basketball and hockey are kind of, have a different situation, but they got to get back pretty soon. Otherwise, you know, they're running into next season a little bit. So I, I think they're really motivated to get things started here soon. And they would probably wrap up at some point in August. Um, but I, I think that, you know, again, there's going to be weird. Like you saw that memo uh, for major league baseball players, like the stuff, no spitting. Like I, I, it's ingrained in baseball players. To spit. I don't <laughs> know. How that, you know, some of some of the stuff is like, you know, like, I don't even know if that's like, cause guys spit without even thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like I was on the, the golf course is, on Saturday. It was funny because I used to, I hadn't played golf in two years until I started back a couple of weeks ago. And back then a couple of years ago, I was still dipping and playing golf, not dipping. I couldn't get over the oral fixation I had. So I had to chew a tea the entire time. Cause I was so used to doing that. It's just part of what you grow accustomed to doing when you're playing a sport like that in baseball. My God, man, how much a part of the culture was dipping or chewing and stuff like that, Not a, let alone just spitting like normal, but other aspects of it to where that's very much ingrained in the fabric of professional baseball, college baseball, it doesn't matter. Guys doing that, it's disgusting, it's gross, no one should do it, but it's been a part of the sport for so long. It's like breathing. Right, there, there's some things that, you know, and that's just one like kind of funny example of what's going on. But oh, I, I think some of this is, is wishful thinking as far as the social distancing part. I mean, yes, I know baseball players are a few feet apart, but you know, no high fives. No, I, I just, at some point, like, 
if you can't be in proximity to each other, if, if it's really that dangerous, then maybe you shouldn't be playing. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I will be interested. It'll be weird. I'm sure there'll be kind of interesting stories that come out of that. You know, I, I love baseball. I hope it comes back soon. It's going to be a season unlike any other. And it'll be interesting. I think the, the most interesting part, you know, hopefully five years from now, we'll all be talking about the Corona times, as my kids call them, the Corona times. And we'll kind of, you know, not necessarily laugh, but, you know, talk about the things that we did during this time. And I'll be interested to see what things stick. You know, like are, are people just wearing masks all the time, like when they're out in public five years from now, or does that fade into the background? You know, I mean, like I, I'm just interested to see what sticks when society gets back to normal or what doesn't. Um, and I think there's going to be all kinds of, you know, whether it's the play on the field, you know, like the DH in both leagues this year in baseball. Um, you oh, know, that's sticking travel. forever. I, I think that sticks forever too. And I think it's, it's well overdue. I mean, I enjoy the, the, uh, the strategy part of having the pitcher in the game and, you know, the, the double switches and all that stuff. I think that stuff's cool, but I mean, there's no question what did pitchers hit last year, like 121 or something like that. Like it's, you know, uh, from a, from an entertainment value standpoint, I can totally understand why you would do the DH. So I think that's one thing that will probably stick. And I think there's going to be multiple things in a lot of sports that at least stick for a while, whether it's hygiene or, or temperature checks or, you know, some social distancing type things. Um, I, again, I, who knows where that goes, but I think it's going to be really interesting the next three or four years. We went to Disney World around Christmas, I think. God, everything is running together at this point. But my best friend in the world and his family, they were in town, Disney World, at the same time. And you don't realize this, how much you don't wash your hands. So that's going to stick. Now that I've washed my hands and my knuckles are cracking because they're so dry, that's going to stick. The mask, there's just this country, there's there's no way to get everybody to wear a mask, even though if we said you'll get everything back, you just gotta wear a mask, there's still gonna be people that say, No, I'm not wearing a mask. No, absolutely not. Because that is the smallest of sacrifices, but people won't even do it. Regardless, I do think that some small things are going to stick. Hopefully that'll be enough. You don't even know. But as far as baseball is concerned, the universal DH is long overdue. It's long overdue. And it's been a distinct advantage for the American League teams not only on the field, but when you're negotiating contracts in the offseason. You don't think the Braves would have gone a little further and secured Josh Donaldson again if they knew in his age 35, 36 season he could DH? Yeah, I agree. And I, that's why I'm surprised it hasn't happened is because of the competitive, you know, dis, the, the disproportionate things for National League teams. I mean, because you're right. I think it totally makes sense when you've got that carrot out there for a, for a aging veteran, you know, a guy in his mid thirties saying, Hey, you can DH 30 or 40 games out of the year, save some wear and tear. I think that's a huge negotiating advantage for a lot of American league teams back to, you know, just hygiene and everything like that. I'm just like you, like, I mean, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm a somewhat clean person, but I just really didn't think about it that much in my daily life. Um, but yeah, I almost compulsively, anytime I get home now from being out, you know, going to the grocery store, or, you know, lately, cause the, the coffee shops and stuff like that have reopened here in Arizona, going to get a coffee and coming back, I compulsively wash my hands and I've never been that person. And I think that, uh, that that's really gonna, it, it's one of those things that's going to just influence behavior for a long time. I just think sanitation and, you know, hopefully public health and all that thing, at least for the near future is 
at the forefront, and we're we're just paying attention to that more now. I bring up the Disney World example because you you think about how many people are packed into those parks, not washing their hands, and touching all those rails, those little play areas on a Winnie the Pooh ride or whatever it might be. Good Lord, listen to this podcast. And you don't realize, or at least you do now, you didn't realize at the time <laughs> how disgusting it is. And now uh, you can't even imagine going there without bringing hand sanitizer and wipes and all those things. My wife wipes down every single thing we buy from the grocery store and go pick it up before it comes into the house. That can't stick. Really? But yeah, she does that. She's that hardcore about it. So I, it's really going to be um, something that changes a lot of people's day-to-day lives. But baseball, the one thing before we move on to some Ole Miss topics that I want to cover with you, that I'm really um, interested to see how it plays out. If they do in a shortened season and logistically figure out ways to get all these teams to play, have to restructure divisions if any of that sticks. Because I do not know to this day why the Braves are in the East. Just don't get it. They should be in the Central. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, not just baseball, but sports and, and society have have done for decades and decades just because that's the way we've always done it. You know, I, the, the National League and the American League are are a vestige of like 1901 when there were two leagues and they were competitors for a long time. And then they had a truce and, you know, they, they worked together and have a world series. Like there was a lot of animosity between those leagues for a while. You know, now, I mean, there's, you know, it's almost like the NFC and the AFC of football. No one thinks of like this huge animosity between the AFC and the NFC. Like there's, there's all kinds of things with baseball, you know, some good, some bad. I think the traditions are uh, in a lot of ways are usually a good thing, but the DH is, I, I think a great example of something that just needed to be changed. It was kind of a neat quirk of baseball, but come on, man, it's 2020. Like you introduced the, the DH in 1973, I think like, come on, let's have the same rule for, for each league. And so I, I think that there's, whether it's divisions or the 162 game season, um, you know, I could see them, you know, cutting that down to 158 or well, I don't think they'll cut it down a ton. Cause again, there's gate and money involved and like, you know, television revenue, they won't, but, it, but are there ways to improve the sport? And, and I think that this is, you know, cause a, a lot of it's just so much inertia, like we've always done it this way. So we'll keep doing it. Um, this is forcing people to re-examine everything. And like, Ed, that's part of what I think is so interesting about what's going to stick in five years and what won't like, what will, will pro sports look exactly the same or close to the same, or will it be really different? I don't, I don't know. All right. So Ole Miss, it was announced on Monday is now going to have a home and home series with USC Southern Cal around your area. Now you're going to go to that game. Oh no, you didn't travel even when you, here but anyway USC yeah that's a great series I'll see if I Perfect. can that would be an awesome series that's a cool series that's yeah, a really cool one it's great 2025 2026 god that seems so far away but it's not Ole Miss is going to go there going to play in the Coliseum what did you think about that that's a great series it's an obvious fit with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss who knows if he'll be here in five years because if he wins enough heck he might end up being the next coach of Alabama we don't know about any of that but right now in 2020 in a vacuum with Lane Kiffin entering his first year, whenever that starts, USC Ole Miss, that's a fun pairing. Yeah, that's a great series. I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that's good for college football. Those are, no matter what team you are, just if you're a fan of, of the sport, if you like good matchups, you love those 
Pac-12 SEC matchups. It's like when Oregon plays Auburn or something like that, or, you know, whoever, like when Alabama, like Arizona, I think is playing Mississippi state in a few years. Uh, Cause I, some of the beat writers were talking about coming to Tucson here in a few years, like all that stuff's just interesting. I mean, you, cause you always wonder, you know, with, with football, the one main thing, because there's fewer games, obviously not everybody can play everybody, but you love to see those kind of styles collide. Um, and, and everybody, and I think rightfully so always talks about how the SEC is the best conference. I think it is, but I, I think it's good for that conference to go out and, and prove it. And, and I think the, Ole Miss USC matchup is is perfect in that it it kind of just plays into those you know cross country rivalries and matchups and I, I think that can be a really good thing. I love it. Now the only thing I have issue with, but this is a broader Ole Miss problem in my opinion, as far as how it schedules games and schedules its seasons. They don't make it easy on themselves, right? So in typical years when they're rebuilding, and Ole Miss has not had a sustained run of success, and you could call David Cutcliffe's run sustained in that he was winning seven games a year, but they haven't had a run where they're winning 10 games, then nine games, eight games, seven games, never having a bad season. They're always going to a point where they have a really bad season. Let's hope that Ole Miss is past that because, God, I'm sick of covering rebuilds. But in years where they need some automatic wins on their schedule – they aren't there. Like this year, under Lane Kiffin, first year, young roster, talented roster, not a lot of depth, but talent um, at the very top of the roster. They need some built-in wins, and yet they're supposed to go to Houston to play Baylor rather than playing Southwest Missouri State Community College, whatever. And you see that with other schools. Mississippi State is great at this, and this is not a knock at all. I've always praised Mississippi State for this. They build in in their non-conference automatic wins because the sec slate is already tough enough you got enough marquee matchups in the sec slate you don't necessarily have to schedule tough in the non-con Ole Miss is a totally different approach they want one of those marquee games every single year florida state baylor cal to an extent but now usc that's great i'm excited to go if Ole Miss is playing at a high level that will be one of the biggest games in college football on opening weekend i'm assuming that's when they'll play but Ole Miss does not ever make it easy on itself. Yeah, that can be frustrating. And it, a lot of it, because like you said, you know, we're scheduling games really 2025 and 2026 for a college series. These games or, or these days is not that far out. I mean, you hear games being announced in like 2035 and stuff like that, but you, you just never know what your program's going to look like. And so I've always thought, especially if you consider yourself, you know, you want to be a big boy in college football, essentially you've got four non-conference games. And I think most teams look at it like this. Um, one of those games, one of those four non-conference games is your uh, FCS opponent. And so that's a built-in win. And then two of those games should probably be like a group of five type matchup, you know, South Alabama or something like that. And then you do save one kind of premium non-conference matchup. I think a lot of teams do that. A lot of the major programs do that. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing. I, you know, I understand it can, it can sometimes be frustrating. Like when you're in a rebuild and you've got a new coach with Lane Kevin, it'd be nice to start off with kind of a warm up instead of Baylor, like you talked about in a, either a neutral site game or however they're going to do it. So um, that's a difficult matchup, but I, I think, you know, there, there's pros and cons to both sides. I would rather err on the side of having, 
an interesting schedule of scheduling the big boys. I think if USC comes to you and wants to do a home and home, it's really hard to turn that down. Oh, yeah. And so I, I understand your points, but I, I think the, the good schedule outweighs that. I've just been around Ole Miss football my entire life. And during the run of David Cutcliffe, you didn't have these matchups. It was a new thing for me when Ole Miss was playing Boise State or Baylor or now USC. Back then, Ole Miss, in the debut season of Eli Manning as the starter, is opening with Murray State. But I think now in the modern era of scheduling, 2014 is a good uh, jumping-off point for Ole Miss as far as as how it does its schedule. Because you're starting with Boise State, and that's a team you should beat even when they're good, if you're good. And then you're following that up with Louisiana, Memphis, and Presbyterian. You should win those games. Now, Ole Miss lost to Memphis, but usually, I'm not that year, but the year after, but usually you should beat Memphis. So that's a good idea of what you should be doing because Memphis, locally close, maybe you play Tulane, Ole Miss did that one year. I get that aspect of it. In USC, it's a great draw. But I still come back to, it depends on what you want. What do you want? If you're an Ole Miss fan that wants consistent success even if it's only seven games a year that you're winning, you're not going to get that scheduling like this. But if you want to take your shots, rather than um, have seven wins a year, you want that opportunity to go really go for it, for a national championship, right? But there's a chance that in year four, you're only going to win four games. Because Ole Miss won 10 games in 2003 with that schedule, and then the next year they only won four, and they're losing to Wyoming. So what do you want? If you want sustained seven-win success, okay. Don't schedule tough. But if you really want to go for it, like Ole Miss did in 2014, beating Boise, okay, I get it. It just depends on what you want as a program. Yeah, it's, it's a risk-reward thing. But I, I think a good recent example is the home-and-home home with Texas. I don't think anybody regrets that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those were, those were two great games. And you that went to Austin. Program. Yeah, you went to Austin and you won. And you won. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you they lost in Oxford, right? I think so. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was I th- bad. I think yeah. So. yeah, right, exactly. I sorry the games are running together. But anyway, you you lose some, you win some, but those were two marquee games. They were interesting matchups. You held your own and and you move on. So I, I don't think anybody regrets that series. And I think that USC is is similar in that regard and that you have no idea what you're gonna look like. You have no idea what USC looks like in five or six years. But I, I think you roll the dice and take that risk when you've got the chance to do a series like that. It's a good example of knowing what you want. So you win that year in Austin, and that's memorable. And you and me are failing to remember what happens the next year. They lost that game. They lost it badly, but it doesn't matter because you went for it that one year, and you're sacrificing consistent success where you're not really going for it as far as double-digit wins, and you're accepting that, yeah, one year it's going to be probably pretty ugly because Ole Miss can't be Alabama. Ole Miss can't be... Clemson, apparently. So if that's going to be the case, three years on, one year off, I'll take it. Yeah, you got blown out at home by Texas, but you went to Austin and won in a year that was so memorable. So that's why you schedule like this. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, there there are some fans who would trade a marquee win for the more consistent seven to eight wins a year. But I, I think your average fan really likes those matchups. And I think it, it draws fans across the country. It, it brings us to your stadium. It, it brings them out to LA. It extends them just a little bit. I, I, like I said, I mean, I, 
roughly understand what you're talking about as far as how it can kind of blow up in your face sometimes. <laughs> you end up going three and nine or four and eight with a really tough schedule. But I, I just think that's a risk you have to take, especially if you want to be, um, you know, in the upper half of the SEC, be an elite program. I mean, uh, I think most elite programs play at least one marquee non-conference matchup, and I think USC definitely qualifies. Ole Miss basketball landed a kid out from what is now your area, Romello White, transfer from Arizona State. Easily one of the most coveted transfers in college basketball. Really brings the room together. He's the rug that brings the room together for Ole Miss basketball. Ole Miss needed a big like that. You know about Romello. You've covered him. What do you think? I was, you know, when I saw that name, you know, it was like my two worlds colliding. I was like, yeah. Romello White. I was like, I know that kid. So, um, yeah, I covered seven or eight Arizona State games this year. And Romello White's a really nice player. He's going to be very good for them, especially his physicality, his toughness, his rebounding. Um, he's kind of a, a walking double-double. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, I wouldn't expect him to score 17 points a game, but he's definitely a guy that could average 11 and 8 uh, or 11 and 9, and that he'll always be around that 10 and 10. And then he'll jump up sometimes and, and give you some really good games. So six foot eight, 235. Uh, just a physical presence in the Pac-12 in the games I saw, which is a really good basketball league, obviously. And um, just a kid, I, I think it's going to be a good fit culturally too, from the standpoint that like, you know, Arizona state's coach is Bobby Hurley. And if you know, Bobby Hurley at all, he's a very gritty, passionate coach. You know what I mean? Like Arizona state didn't always play well, but they played hard. And that was kind of a prerequisite for being out there. I mean, they played super hard. And so I don't think Kermit Davis is going to have to, you know, pull out the effort from Romello. I think this is a guy that's played a lot of college basketball. Um, he can be slightly frustrating sometimes from an offensive standpoint, because he'll have a game where he looks like an NBA player, essentially a guy that could go, he'll, he'll go out and have 22 points one game. You'll be like, why can't he do this every night? That looks so good. Um, and then he'll have a couple games where he scores six or eight, and it will be slightly frustrating. He's not a guy that you're going to probably run the offense through. But I, I was trying to think of a good comparable, and I, I think that he's kind of a mix of a little mix of Reggie Butner and Murphy Holloway. And you know, you you know me, Murphy Holloway is like my all-time yep. favorite athlete. Probably I covered at Ole Miss, and he's not quite because Murphy was just such a interesting because he was left-handed and he was he just had such an unorthodox way that he played but he was going I, left I did, you knew he was going left and you couldn't stop him. and no one could stop him no one could stop him and it always would look sort of like weird and ugly but he scored and then he grabbed rebounds but i i think they're very similar in the fact that you don't run the offense through that type of guy but you can expect he gets a lot of offensive rebounds he's in the right place he runs the floor he can you know he'll get a couple transition dunks um, you know, he's, he's a really solid, I think, you know, at the high end, he could be a borderline all conference type of player. Um, you know, and at the very least, I think he's, he's a really good, legit power forward in the sec. So that it's a really good pickup. And, and I think, you know, obviously with grad transfers, you know, there's a transition period and you got to see how quickly they pick things up. But I, I think that it's a, it's a good fit. Um, you know, he's not a guy, I don't think he attempted a three pointer at Arizona state over three years. So he's not a guy that unless he like really reinvents himself is going to light it up from outside or anything, but you know, he's a really good low post player who can provide some defense, some toughness and, and occasionally some scoring. He's one of those garbage guys that AK would call him. Right. Right. I mean, he's a guy that will get 
six points a game just off offensive rebounds or tips or loose balls and dunks and stuff like that. And, and it's nice to have those type, type of players that don't have to have the ball every possession to have a productive night. And, and he, you know, he's just a guy who's, and he's been through ups and downs. He's had some stretches where he's been really good in his career and, and times he took a step back. So I, again, I, this is a guy who's played a lot of basketball. He's mature. He's, you know, he wants to be in the NBA someday. And I think that he's, he's talented enough, especially physically that he's that carrot is out there. He could potentially be a backup at some point and latch on somewhere. I think that's a, a legit possibility. So um, yeah, I, just, I think it's a, a really interesting fit. And I think he's, the type of player you need to win games at the major college level. We'll get right back to David Brandt in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Mosquito Marshals and Impact by Ironwood, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss Athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right, Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around, and they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part is you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits, earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call 1-833-GO-TEAMS. That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS. Or go to www.impactolemiss.com. Make a difference. Make an impact. Wanted to remind you, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, talk of champions in iTunes. And when you do... Leave a five-star review. Doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and a food of 247 Sports. Going to hear from Mosquito Marshals. And then it's back to David Brandt of the Associated Press here on Talk of Champions. Are bugs ruining your evenings outside? Do you want to reclaim your yard from those pesky bugs? Well, Mosquito Marshals is here to help, to let their customers and their families enjoy living outside again. At Mosquito Marshals, their top priority is to keep their customers bite-free by providing the best mosquito control services in the industry. The goal is simple, to protect their customers' homes and businesses from mosquitoes, fleas, ticks, and they stand by their results. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll respray your yard for free. But how do I know this? Because I have first-hand experience. Mosquito marshals rode out to my house and sprayed my yard. Took them no time, and I haven't seen a mosquito since. And trust me, I'm just like you. In quarantine, all me and my daughters can do is go outside, ride a bike, play some ping pong in the garage. Don't let a mosquito mess up your good time. No, schedule your appointment today. You can give them a call at 662-715-1818. That's 662-715-1818. Or visit Mosquito Marshalls online at mosquitomarshalls.com. Mosquito Marshalls, serving Oxford, Batesville, Water Valley, New Albany, Pontotoc, wherever you are, they'll come to you. Mosquito Marshalls. Outside of the obvious reasons why it's a big pickup, Ole Miss needed another big... They needed a go-to guy in the post that could score around the rim, physical, rebounding, toughness, all that stuff. When you land Romello White, you keep up in the arms race in the SEC. If you look at SEC basketball recruiting rankings, it's starting to look like football. I think five of the top ten are SEC teams. Now, Kentucky's always going to be number one, number two. But you're starting to see teams like Tennessee in the top ten, LSU, it doesn't matter. Georgia's always competing now, apparently, for the top 25. They landed yeah, the number Florida one, and Auburn. Yeah. Georgia landed the number one player in the country last year. So if you're Ole Miss, if you can't land that caliber of player. Now, Matthew Morrell is a highly ranked player, but Kentucky's getting four Matthew Morrells. And if you can't 
land one of those kids plus two more, then you have to be good and really make hay in the transfer market, which is a opened up brand new market that people have to utilize in order to compete. You had to get Romello White because it takes you from being borderline, not a ton of enthusiasm, 60s type of team to 42, 41. Yeah, and I, I think that you're, you're seeing it just in the SEC at Ole Miss with the new arena, all that stuff. You're you're seeing the the fruits of the labor of six or seven years ago. Remember when the league was so down and there were so many bad teams, mm-hmm. and there was really a an effort to hire better coaches to get better facilities. And it's like, hey, we've got to turn this around. And it didn't happen overnight. I mean, some of it did, but you know, you, you've got to really put sustained effort into building up your, your, your confidence and make it a priority and hire good coaches. And I think for the most part, there's, there's some examples that, but I, I think that more programs look better now, seven years from, from that than they did before. So kid, like you said, Kentucky's always been good. Florida has been good for a while. LSU is kind of hit or miss kind of up and down, but you know, Auburn's really good now. Um, Tennessee is good. You know, I think Ole Miss has generally is recruiting a higher level athlete. I think Andy Kennedy was incredible at getting the most out of the players he had. And there was some fairly like Terrence Henry, Henry was fairly highly rated and Murphy Holloway. And, you know, it's not like they had a bunch of two stars, but still, you know, Mississippi state has recruited well over the last few years. And so I think again, um, you know, it's just when you make it a priority, I, I think this is kind of the momentum they've built and they, they've worked really hard for it. So I, I think it's good for the league that, you know, that this has kind of come to fruition where you, you've really got to recruit. You can't just like throw a bunch of guys together and finish fifth in the league. Like that doesn't really happen anymore. You know, you, I mean, we saw it this year with Ole Miss, like it didn't really come together. Uh, they, they just didn't quite have the talent. They went 15 and 17 and finished near the bottom of the league. And so I, I think that's, where you're at if you're not recruiting at a high level it's just going to be a a a tough time good for kermit davis too he's not going to be on the hot seat none of that i'm not i wanted to preface what i'm about to say with that but this is a big year for him because this is going to determine i think the overall general sentiment about you and your program because i think there were some a little there was a little bit of wavering in the fan base you went to the ncaa tournament in year one then last year some expectations that maybe were unfair but that a lot of your coaches kind of put on it too about what that team was going to be, and then they failed spectacularly. So now you've gotten both ends of the spectrum. Year three, this is where I feel like Kermit is going to set the direction as far as temperament and attitude towards this program with the fans and the rope he's going to be given to do what he needs to do to build it the way he wants to. And that's why landing Romello was such a big deal because you wanted a team that could actually give you a real shot to not only compete for the NCAA tournament, but to finish in the top half of a tough league. And this is a a tough, tough environment to have that type of year in, but Kermit has allowed himself a blanket, a safety blanket, in order to do that. Yeah, and I I think with any program, basketball, football, even baseball, you know, pretty much any sport, year three – is really when you kind of have your roster and your team, the, the excuses are essentially gone good or bad. Um, and, and these are the guys for the most part that you recruited. And it's a team that should be used to your playing style and just the way you go about running a program. Um, and, and you really start to see what you've got. I think that there's a, there's a lot of examples of coaches that had a pretty good first year 
you know, with the, with the leftovers of the previous program. And then, you know, there's a transition period of the year where you're kind of the roster shuffling and everything. Second year is not as good. And then you bounce back uh, your third and fourth years. A good example of that has been Howland at Mississippi state. His career is incredible at that. If you look at Pitt, if you look at UCLA, if you look at Mississippi state, even back to his days at Northern Arizona, he, he would have an okay first year. They would fall off in that second year as he kind of re-ended by year three or four, they'd go to the NCAA tournament, win 25 games and, you know, things would be kind of well on their way. And so I, I think that Kermit Davis is, is, you know, hopefully for Ole Miss's sake is following that kind of same trend. And I, the thing that I was most impressed about landing Romello White is that, you know, you got a grad transfer. This isn't a kid, you know, from like, a small college. Yeah, like it's not Robert Allen from Stanford. Yeah, no disrespect right. to Robert yeah. Allen. Good kid. Oh, absolutely. Carmen Davis loves that, him, but this is different. That that kid from Tennessee State, if you're MJ Rett or Tennessee Tech, wherever he was yeah, from, he was you know, awesome. those are yeah, yeah, those are those are good pickups. But you know, those are kids that want to play major college ball, and it's fairly I don't want to say an easy sell, but you know, you're 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 obviously a step up, you know, Arizona state's a pretty good basketball program for James Harden played. Like those teams have been really competitive the last couple of years. And for, for Romello white to say, you know, I, I'm leaving Arizona state, Bobby Hurley, like, and, and coming to old Miss, like, and I know that there's some, you know, I think that's, I, I believe Romello white's from Georgia. So it's closer to home and stuff yeah. like that. There's, there's some other things like that too, but yeah, Levi I mean, that, Watkins that's, assistant coached him at Arizona state. Right. Yeah. There, there were some connections there and everything, but um, you know, still, I mean, I, I think that's a big deal for a kid to leave a successful program in the PAC 12 um, that's making NCAA tournaments and go to Ole Miss in the sec. And obviously think that's a good career move for him. So I, I think that's an encouraging sign for Ole Miss. All right. Last thing before we get out of here, I wanted to cover this with you because you're very familiar with Ole Miss baseball. You covered it for so long. You had a good relationship with Mike Bianco. You covered him for a while. Right now, and typically in normal circumstances, negotiations wouldn't even be happening yet. But Keith Carter and Mike, Mike Bianco's representation, at least, are negotiating a new contract. We all know the situation. Keith Carter last year opted after Ole Miss fell a game short of Omaha to not roll over Mike Bianco. Fast forward a year later, you knew it was going to be a little bit of a sticking point, especially if they started well. Then circumstances cut a 16-1 season well short of his final end game. But now Mike Bianco and Keith Carter are negotiating a strange territory to where you've rolled over Kermit Davis, who just came off of uh, a season in which he was two games under 500, but went to the NCAA tournament the year before. You rolled over Coach Yo, who I grant you has had a horrible roster that she inherited. She's done a tremendous job recruiting, but she still hasn't had any real on-court success. What do you make of this and how these negotiations could play out? Because we know Mike. We know his attitude towards things it wouldn't surprise me if he's having a more hardline stance on things he might otherwise have leeway for because he feels feels a little slighted from last year and then seeing maybe some decisions made in contract rollovers for other coaches at the school yeah that's fascinating i mean i don't you know especially you know knowing keith carter over the years and, and knowing mike and and just the dynamics of of old miss um that is fascinating. And I, and I think the, the pandemic and everything, I think if it gives any side leverage, I think it probably would give Mike you know, a little more leverage because of, you know, a, even though finances aren't at tip top shape right now for anybody, um, I, I do think there's motivation to 
you know, understand what you, Mike Bianco for has had some ups and downs. And yes, we know that he's, he's only been to Omaha once, but he's a generally successful college baseball coach. They put people in the seats, they generate revenue. It's, it's a draw for Ole Miss. And I think that right now, kind of the safe bet of keeping Mike around, especially like you said, they were 16 and one. It looked like they were going to have a really good season. Um, you know, Mike is not perfect, but he's a, he's a very good college baseball coach. And I think it gives him some leverage that people would want, you know, you, you'd want to keep what you have and, and stick around. I, I think they make that happen, but it, it, but the dynamics, you're absolutely right that, you know, when, when football coaches are getting rolled over or, or basketball or, or any sport, I mean, nothing's done in a vacuum. Um, you know, I, I'm sure Mike Bianco is looking at those other coaches and, and it's going to be fascinating. But I, I think, again, it's it's kind of like with Major League Baseball uh, with getting the season started. I think there's just going to be a lot of motivation for both sides to get something done, especially in the current environment. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mike's representation takes a hard line because I, I think he's got some leverage right now. It's the terms, right? Because when you look at it, I've been as critical of Mike Bianco as anybody out there. But you have to acknowledge when you're criticizing him that he built Ole Miss baseball into the monster that it is that you have such expectations for. In 16 of his previous 19 seasons, Ole Miss made the postseason. And when you look at the history of Ole Miss baseball, it ain't good before Mike Bianco. So Mike Bianco created this. But also, the criticism is fair that one appearance in Omaha for this program, considering how many opportunities, six times they've been to a Super Regional, not getting to Omaha, it's not enough, it's insufficient. I get all that. But now that you decided not to roll them over, that's where you put yourself in a position if you're Keith Carter, who I think has done a tremendous job so far. But you put yourself in a position to where perceptionally, if you're representation for Mike Bianco, you wanted to play the middle ground. You wanted to do the half measure of, okay, I don't want to fire him, but I want to show that he needs to get to Omaha. I'm not going to roll him over. In college athletics – Half measures just don't work. They just don't because they create messy situations. No one could have predicted a freaking pandemic. Of course not. That's not in any way a part of this, even though it's a part of the negotiations. But you've created the, the, the perception, at least, that Mike Bianco might not be my guy. And it's not like that's going to be lost on Mike Bianco. Oh, where, yeah, he knows. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> and he knows that. Had he won like he thought he was going to win this year, not to say he was going to get to Omaha, he may have fallen short again. I mean, this all might have been a moot conversation. But had they been successful as they had been through 17 games and gotten to Omaha, who's to say Mike Bianco doesn't go somewhere else immediately because he feels like, I am not Keith Carter's guy. Either he's your guy and you roll him over or he's not and you fire him. Playing the half-measure thing creates these type of situations that are uncomfortable, but once one side gets particular leverage, they have the opportunity in these types of situations to hold a hard-line stance. Right. Well, it's like slow playing a hand in, yep. in poker. Yep. You know what I mean? You, and, and sometimes that's a good strategy, but you're taking a risk there. And so, you know, Keith Carter, I think in a poker term, he had a, a you know pretty good like pocket tens or something like that. You're like, I'll see what happens here. You know what I mean? Like, I like what I have, but it's not incredible. I'll check, see what happens, and then, you know, they flop over a king, an ace, you know what I mean? And, and you lose leverage. Like it's something where you're, you're kind of trying to take the middle ground and that's a strategy. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And I think with, you know, Mike Bianco going 16 and one and looking like he had such a solid team. And then obviously everything happened with coronavirus. 
but but I think that moves the leverage back into Mike's side. And so, you know, Keith gambled and and I'm not, it may have not all been Keith's decision, but I'm saying Ole Miss gambled, Ole Miss, I'm not saying they necessarily lost, but they lost some leverage. And so, you know, sometimes you gamble, sometimes that works. And this time I, I think it, it paid off in Mike's favor. I think he has a lot of leverage right now. It's easy to go to message board too and say, okay, well, extend him out to four years, but basically drop his buyout to zero. That's not going to fly. That's not going to work. Because again, you're trying to play the half measure card of, right. yeah, Mike Bianco, we want to keep him doing what he's doing, but we want to have all the leverage if something goes wrong to fire him however we want to fire him, whenever we want to fire him. That's just not how these things work out. You think that any representation worth his or her salt would be fired if they gave up that kind of leverage for a head coach that they were negotiating uh, salary terms for. That's insane. Right. I mean, exactly. Like people sometimes I don't think understand leverage and how that works. I mean, Mike Bianco, again, we, like we talked about is not perfect, but he's a very good college baseball coach. And there's a lot of programs that would like to have him. I mean, Mike Bianco could walk out of Ole Miss and find many jobs today at several places that would like to have him. So let's just assume one thing real quick. If LSU was open, Auburn was open, Florida was open and Mike Bianco becomes available. He'd have his pick. Oh, I don't, that's a good question. I don't know. You think so? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that all those teams would be really interested in him, and I think he would be in the conversation. But, you know, somewhere like LSU, I mean, I know he played at LSU. That's interesting. But there, there's a lot of – there's plenty of programs that would love to have him right now. He wouldn't have like to drop down a level is my point. That, that's what I'm saying. No, no, no. Like somebody that's fallen on hard times recently, like – South Carolina, I think, would be interested. Yes. Um, Georgia would be interested, like places like that. I, I think that, you know, any any ACC, Pac-12, you know, like a, uh, if Arizona State came open or something like that, I think Mike Bianco would be a really strong candidate somewhere like that. So, um, but anyway, the point is, is Mike has options. And so you can't, if you're old Miss, just say, well, we're going to do all this. Mike will say, this is ridiculous, and he'll leave. So unless you're prepared to have that happen, you just can't go into a negotiation like that. If you're an Ole Miss fan, just be careful what you wish for. That's all I'm saying. Right. Yes. And I agree with the criticism that not getting to Omaha more than one time isn't sufficient. I I agree with that. Very valid. That's a very valid criticism. Yeah, more than There's no doubt that Mike has been – the best thing about Mike, to me, watching him over the past 12 or 13 years, is that he, no matter – he recruits pretty well, and he is really good at – occasionally he'll have – you know, there'll be injuries or he'll have an average roster. It just doesn't quite work out, but he can still pull 38 wins out of that team and get them to a regional. You know what I mean? It might not be an amazing year, but he, they're never terrible. You know what I mean? Like they, they are always in the hunts. Very rarely have they missed like the sec tournament or different things like that. But the worst part is you're right. The postseason success, they've had some oppor- some golden opportunities where they should have been to Omaha. They didn't get there. They have been disappointing in the postseason by and large. There's no question about that. But, um, you know, I, I think, again, the good, the bad, I think there's still a lot of optimism around the program. Old Miss, for better or for worse, has kind of turned into the new Chicago Cubs in college baseball. You know, wait till next year. You know, there's a little bit of a vibe there. And I think it, it's not perfect, but it kind of works in some ways and that, you know, the, the program's still super popular. And, you know, I, I think it's built a culture of, you know, just passion around it. And I think that's a good thing. And I, I think that Ole Miss fans shouldn't take that for granted. 
He's David Brand of the Associated Press, good friend of the program. How are you spending your week vacationing away from work? Well, that's, you know, obviously travel is limited, um, but, you know, <laughs> Phoenix in May is a wonderful place to be. You know, all the houses here, including mine, we have a pool, so I'm hanging out in the backyard a lot, 100 degrees outside, just hanging out in the sun, you know, just kind of chilling. I mean, we now we've, we've done that a lot the past couple months, obviously a lot of us, but uh, if you've got to quarantine, I'm saying that Phoenix in the spring is not a bad place to quarantine. So um, nothing super exciting, but a lot of sun, a lot of pool. Well, we miss you back here, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, Ben. Good talk to you, man. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. 